as a church, we're going through this study called Believe. Each, different, each week, we're looking at a different chapter. Uh, we're on chapter 9. And the encouragement is, if you're journeying along with us, that you read that chapter on your own the week preceding, or you read the correlating scriptures in your own Bibles, or however you want to read that. Just that helps us to know what God's teaching us and what we're talking about as a church. Um, and that's just my encouragement to you. And what we're going to talk about today is stewardship. We're talking about how we manage what we become responsible for. Really what we're talking about is how we manage what God has entrusted to us. I want to read from Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2. And our key idea for this week is that I believe that everything I am and everything that I have belongs to God. I believe that everything I am and everything that I have belongs to God. In light of that, Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, he reads this way. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Your translation might read a little bit differently than that, but what it says is that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything that he created belongs to him because he is the creator, and it's important for me as a Christian to keep that in mind when I look at my life, when I look at how I choose to prioritize things. Because a lot of times, have you ever met those people in life that just seem to get way too much accomplished in a day? Okay, I'm not talking about myself. I am not one of those people, okay? But have you ever met those people that they just, they've got an hour and they get like 12 things done, or they get a day off and they just... They just do so much, and you're like, how in the world do they get so much accomplished? And a lot of times, what do we say? Well, I don't have the time to do that. That's what we say. I don't have the time. Their days must be longer than mine. My days are only 24 hours. They must have some special day, or they've got more time than I do. When truth be told, we know what the truth of the matter is. Nobody has more time available than we do ourselves. But it comes down to what? It comes down to our priorities. And how we choose to allocate our time and what we're going to do and also in that what we're going to choose not to do. Because our time is limited. Our energy is limited. Our resources, that our gifts that God has given us are limited. And we have to choose what's most important. And what's most important, a lot of times we say, well, I didn't have time. I didn't have time. And for the most part in life, what I have found for me is that's not true. It's just not true. It's just something that we say. It's something that's polite for us to say in our society, say, I I just didn't have time. When the reality is, if it was really important, I would have made time. And that I would have made it a priority in my life if it was that important. And honestly, really what happens when I say "I I don't have time is I say I chose to do something else. Is that something else was more important than that. And in some cases, that's an okay answer. That's a fine answer to give. But it's our perspective in how we look at things. What we find when we're talking about stewardship, and it goes far beyond giving money. That's a part of it, and maybe that's what comes to mind initially when you hear it or when you think about stewardship. But it goes so much deeper than that. The idea of biblical stewardship is so much more than just what we do with our finances, with our money that we've worked hard for. But there's a couple truths I shared these. It was almost... almost a year ago today that we talked about this similar idea, and it's interesting how that kind of lined up. Um, But what I found, and I found this to be true, and maybe you have too, 
is that when there's a lack of generosity in my life, I find that there's a deep lack of appreciation for Jesus. I find in my life when there's a lack of generosity that I have a lacking of the appreciation that I need for Jesus and what he has done for me. I've also found this to be true, is that when I lose my sense of wonder for Jesus and his work for me, I become stingy. When I lose sight, when I lose perspective, when I miss or choose to forget or carefully don't want to remember because it doesn't fit into what I want to do that day, when I lose a sense of wonder for Jesus and everything that he gave up for me, I become stingy with what I have in my everything. And also this is true. A lack of generosity indicates a lack of all for God's grace. A lack of generosity for me as a Christian, for us as the church, if we are not generous with what we have, we're not reflecting God. Because God says we're to be like him, we're called to be like him, and he gave everything for us. He gave us everything that we needed. God was willing to sacrifice everything for you and for me and for every single person that has ever lived. And when I forget that, I behave differently. John Wesley, a church um, preacher, said it this way from a couple centuries ago. He says, it's possible to give without loving, but it's impossible to love without giving. He says, it's possible to give without loving, but it's impossible to love without giving. I can't help but think that John Wesley had Mark 12, verses 41 to 44 in mind, and that's what we're going to read next. Have your Bible, turn it on, open it up. If you want to follow along, it should come up on the screen behind me as well. But this idea that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Jesus tells the story this way in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, starting in verse 41. And he, it's talking about Jesus, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came in and put two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, he didn't say what they thought they were going to hear, mind you. Here's what Jesus said, verse 43, truly I say to you. This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. You hear why, you might hear why I think that John Wesley had this story of Jesus in mind when he said, it's possible to give without loving, but it's impossible to love without giving. The people that were watching, and nobody watches when we take up offering, right? Yeah, nobody's paying attention to anything that anybody's putting, putting in the box, right? Nothing. Yes. Okay. Jesus can watch. We can't, all right? All right. But that's not what it's about when that time happens. The reason that we give back to God is that we want to show him how much we love him and that we trust him. And really, God has told us that he loves a cheerful giver. He loves, but he also loves sometimes when we do things that we don't want to do, but we just do them because we know we're supposed to do them, right? That we're trying to be obedient, that we're trying to follow after God and do what he has called for us to do. Now, a lot of times when we're talking about stewardship, it does talk about your finances. It does. How I manage my finances as a Christian is important, and God tells us how we're supposed to orient that. Really, what God, the example that we have is that, when people gave sacrifices, when they gave back to God, there's this principle that we take from the Old Testament called a tithe. 
A tithe is giving the first of what you have. Not giving if it is left over, but a tithe is 10% of what you have. You give that to God first. You don't pay all your bills and see what's left over and go, oh, shucks, Jesus, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have gone out to eat so much this week. But instead, it comes from an attitude of our heart. Here's something that you may or may not have remembered, but there's not a command in the New Testament to give a tithe anywhere directly. That's a principle that we have taken out of the Old Testament, and that was God's people, how God called for the Israelites and those that loved him and cared for him. If they wanted to sacrifice, if they wanted to give generously from who they were to give back to God, to show how much they appreciated what God had provided for them, that they would give a tithe, which is 10%, of their first fruits. It doesn't really matter what it is, but it's a matter, it's a condition of our heart. Now, ultimately, Jesus knows, God knows the condition of our heart, regardless of what may or may not go into the offering plate for you or for me. God knows, and he is the one that will lay it on our heart with what we're supposed to give. And really what the New Testament does is that it goes, I would say, above and beyond what the New Testament calls us to do, what we talk about a lot, these stories of Jesus from Matthew to Revelation. We talk about the church and our Christian life and how I'm supposed to live. What the New Testament calls us to give to sacrificial generosity. (laughs) He calls us to give like God has given to us. And you might ask the question, well, Joel, how much is that for me? And I will happily give you an answer for that. You have your pens ready? You ready to write this down? Text it to your spouse, whatever you got to do. I don't know. But God, if you seek him, he will communicate to you what that is, what that looks like. And that is between you and God. That is not between you and anybody else except for your spouse if you share your finances, okay? It's probably, I delete that probably word. It is important for you to talk about that, okay? It is, absolutely. And how you're going to choose to allocate the resources that, yes, you've worked hard for or in some of our cases worked for, but also that God has entrusted us with and figure out what we're going to do and how we are going to give back to him. But it's so much more than money. It's so much more than that. It's all of who we are, that God has gifted us all as Christians in different ways, that God tells us that the Holy Spirit is in each one of us. Every one of you is a Christian. God is in you in the form of the Holy Spirit, and we are gifted to serve the kingdom. And this idea of biblical stewardship goes to everything that I have. It goes back to our key idea. I believe that everything I am and everything I have belongs to God. I like to think of it this way, and it was worded well in some of the readings in the book and the Sunday school lessons, that God is the rightful owner of everything. And what he has entrusted me and you for a short time is to be managers of some of that. And how I reflect what God has entrusted with me to manage really reflects what I believe about God. And that goes to my finances. It also goes to my time. It also goes to how I look within And I pray and I ask God, God, show me the ways that you have gifted me as a Christian. The awesome way that the church is described in God's word is as a body. And with all the different parts functioning together, the body functions as a whole and as it should. And what happens if I, as a member of the church, chose to keep some of the gifts that God has given me to myself? And right now I'm not talking about money, okay? I'm not. If I, as a Christian, choose, well, I feel like God's leading me that I could really help teach or assist the teacher in a Sunday school class. Or I could help get communion ready behind the scenes because no way in the world am I getting up in front of people, but I could get here 10 minutes early and get this stuff ready so that we have these, the bread and the juice to get ready to take. 
But if I instead choose, oh, I'm not going to do that, somebody else does that, they've got it under control. Well, somebody else has been doing that for 20 years, I don't want to get in their way, I don't want to help. Or sometimes I think that, not intentionally, but it kind of happens as a byproduct, sometimes in church we create a culture of, well, we're afraid to step up and to help for something because we'll look for, I don't know, I'll talk about Miss Juanita because she's not in here. You can tell her everything I said. I give you full permission because you would have anyway, okay? But she's been teaching junior church for a very long time, and she loves it. She does not want to do anything else but to teach junior church. She loves those kids, and she has worked with those kids. But who knows? Maybe God's leading you to help with junior church, to help Juanita, to assist her. But you maybe you think, well, no, she's – or sometimes you might think, well, I'm not signing up to do something for 20 years. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I might want to try and see if it's okay, and that might not have been God. That might have been somebody else telling me. But what we have to do is we've got to be willing to have a faith that's going to work. To have a faith that's going to follow after God and say, God, show me the ways that you've gifted me and, God, how I can help the church. Now, maybe nothing comes to mind right away for you, but I promise there's something you can do. There's something that you can do. There's a ministry that you can get plugged into even if you ask me or Jeff or any other elders or teachers. Even if we don't come up with something right away, God will make that known. And he'll show us how you can help in the church. And not to keep those gifts to yourself, but to use those for the church, to use those for the kingdom so that we, the church here at Cross Plains Christian, that we can be functioning how God wants us to. And you may not feel qualified. You might say, I just don't have any ability, but God's not looking for ability. God's looking for availability. When it comes to your time and how you're going to invest in him, you might say, I'm not really good at anything. I'm okay at a lot of things, but I'm not great at anything. God isn't looking for ability. He's looking for availability. And what I would encourage you to do is pray and say, God, show me how you want me to serve. So we talk about a lot here as the church. We want to be disciples who make disciples. A disciple someone who loves God and others, bears fruit, and equips others for service. I can say that fast now because we've been talking about it forever. It's printed on your bulletin if you want that more to listen to it. But also, we, as the church, we want to worship God and grow in the word and serve others. That's how we become disciples. That's how we become more mature disciples. And each aspect of that is important. Worship is important. Growing in our knowledge of what God's word teaches us is important, but not in just an academic way, in a way that changes the way that I look at others and it changes the way that I live, changes the way that I act. We want to worship and grow and serve. And where a lot of times I think we as the church, as the leaders, or me as a preachers in general, we don't do a good enough job of creating opportunities for everybody to serve. And that's one of the things that I feel like we can do a lot better at and we're working towards because everybody has a role to play. Everybody has a ministry that they can do. Every Christian is called to be a servant. We um, prayed over Jamie Sapp last week because he's serving as a deacon in the church this year for the first time. What a deacon is, very simply, it's a word that means servant. At the very heart of all that we do as Christians, we are all servants. This is a word that means ministry. We're all called to minister to, to serve one another. Every single person, official title or not, none of that stuff matters. We're all called to serve one another, to minister to one another, to make available my time and our resources, even when it scares you to death. Even if you think you might fail, that's okay. I'd rather have a faith that works than a faith that's afraid. I want to go, and maybe you'll try something out, and it's not for you. And you know what? That's okay. But look for a place where you can serve, how you can be the best steward of your abilities, of your time, of your giftedness that God is giving you, 
or just maybe sometimes some stuff that you're willing to do even though you don't like it. You know, sometimes we have to do that in life, and sometimes that helps out an awful lot. There's lots of other examples I could have used of people who serve and have been serving for a long time, but we want to have a culture to create an environment where we're willing to look at, uh, to take a holistic view of this idea of biblical stewardship. Yeah, it's what we put into the offering plate, but it's so much more than that. Jesus talked about money a lot because he knows what money can do to us if our priorities aren't in the right place. And ultimately, that's where it comes down to a lot. Our priorities get out of whack. I talked about our time earlier. We say, I don't have time for that, when the reality is I didn't make time for that. That wasn't a priority. What is a priority in our life, we will make time for. So if, as Christians, we believe that God has called for me to serve, we're going to make time for that. We're going to pray for that. We're going to say, God, show me how you want to use me. Maybe in ways I never dreamed. But God, because I believe you are good and I want to be obedient to what you're calling for me to do, Jesus, I'm going to serve. I'm going to be a good steward of the years that I have and the time that I have and what you have given me. I like the way that Mother Teresa put it. She said, I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. Again, I can't help but think that she had Matthew 25 in mind, probably some other passages as well, but I want to read that together. Matthew chapter 25, I'll start in verse 14 in just a moment here after we flip to it. Jesus tells the story this way, Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, so he made five talents more. So also he who had received two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of their servants came and settled accounts with them. And he said, and he who had five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. And I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you can have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I've scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming you should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him 
and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has more, will, more will be given, and he who has, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <coughs> This is one of those stories that I think a lot of times we read it on the surface. We think Jesus is being a little harsh. I think that's how it comes across initially. That's what it sounds like, to some degree anyway. But if we go back to that uh, quotation from Mother Teresa, she said, I'm not called to be successful, I'm called to be faithful. And I think faithfulness is what Jesus is talking about and how he deals with his servants in this story. It has nothing to do with the return on the investment or the yield or the profit that they made, but instead it's faithfulness. I like the way Oswald Chambers put it. He said, God has not called us to success but faithfulness. Very similar to the way Mother Teresa worded it. God has not called us to success but to faithfulness. Jesus does not reward the first two servants because they were successful. It's not why. He does reward them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. And he says the same thing both to the first servant who had five and got five more and to the second servant who had two and yielded two more. said the same exact thing. Jesus isn't harsh with the last servant because he was unsuccessful, because he didn't turn a profit. I think Jesus is harsh with the last servant because he wasn't faithful with what God had entrusted him. He was not faithful with what the master had given to him to manage for a short time. Because he knew his master expected him to do something with it. And what was it? What was his driving motivation to do with that one talent, that third servant? The way that I read it, it was fear. He was afraid. He says, I, I can't, I'm, what if I, it, no, I'm just going to hide it and let nobody know that I have it. That's the safest thing to do. Nowhere in the Bible, anywhere, did God call for you to live a safe life ever. We're called to live like Jesus, right? Did Jesus come and live a safe life? No. He gave and gave and gave. There's security that we have in our faith and in Jesus and who we are as the church, but safety isn't our top priority when it comes to how we're going to obey God and how we're going to be proper biblical stewards of what God has entrusted us to. It was clear what the master expected of his servants while he was away. And when the master came back, they were going to be held accountable for what they did or what they didn't do. And Jesus continues that story in the story of the sheep and the goats that continues in Matthew chapter 25. But as I was thinking about it, what you do, and for a moment I'm going to switch back. We're talking about biblical stewardship, but I'm talking about... Um, We'll talk about our finances for a little bit, okay? As I was thinking about it, this kind of came to mind. Um, kind of giving, it's kind of like forgiveness. The more that you give, the more that you're forgiven. I'm just kidding, okay? I'm <laughs> just kidding. See if anybody was listening, right? That's not it. But giving, in my mind, it kind of works like forgiveness. When you forgive somebody else, God tells us that we are to forgive others as we have been forgiven, right? Right. We're to forgive other people. And a lot of times that forgiveness is not for the other person because they might 
could not care less if I forgive them or not. But what that forgiveness is for, it's for me. Because if I hold on to something, it's going to eat me up. Forgiveness is it's for others, and sometimes it feels good to know that you're forgiven. But more than that, forgiveness, when we forgive others, it's for us so that we don't hold on to that, so that it doesn't eat us up. And I think giving a lot of times it's the same way. It's for you. It's for my heart. It's for how I look at what God has entrusted me with and how I'm going to prioritize it. How I'm going to be a good steward of what I have in this lifetime. And it's not just about what exactly is God going to do with it through the church or some other ways that you can give with your money. But it's about you and your heart. If we notice that this isn't one of the parables that Jesus just tells to a bunch of big crowds, this is one of the parables that Jesus is talking and he tells to his closest, those that are around him. He wants them to give. He wants them to be good stewards of what they have. He wants them to know that there is something that is expected of them while their master is away. And the same is true for us. As Christians, there are things that are expected of you. There are things that God expects you to do. I could run through some highlights on those, but I can't cover them all. Because God, there are things all Christians are called to do. We're called to love others. We're called to be kind to our enemies. We're called to give. We're called to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We're called to think of others before we think of ourselves. Now, there's lots of other smaller, very important applications in your life that God's calling for you to do. And there's going to be a day where we're all held accountable for what we do or what we choose not to do. How we choose to prioritize our time and our giftedness and also what we choose to do with our money. Now, one of the things that we've done that's kind of new, it's been going on for about six months here at the church, is that we've partnered with a company called PushPay that gives us another way to give. It doesn't work for everybody, and it's not necessarily for everybody, all right? But it is one of the ways that we see that we want to remove any barriers from you being able to give. It doesn't work for everybody, and you might feel weird if you did it. You might have the question of, well, if I give electronically when they pass the offering plates, I'm not going to put anything in it. Well, when John walked by me, I was sitting by myself earlier. He went to hand me the offering plate, and I just kind of sat there with my head down. He didn't, he didn't notice because he didn't pay attention to stuff like that. But I didn't put anything in the offering. Why? Because I chose to give through push pay. And what I did is I set up an automatic draft right from my bank account, and it's going to come out automatically every Sunday. So I don't have to think about, do I have a check? Do I not have a check? Do I have cash, which I never have? But that's a way that I can give. That may not work for you. You may, may want to put it in, and that's okay. But however God is calling for you to give, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. That's why we put it up. You can text. You can give from your smartphone. You can give whenever. Or if you want to give from the first of what you have, and you say, I don't want my money to run out come Sunday, you can give in the middle of the week, and it's going to come. And you can give whenever God is calling for you to give. And that is between you and God, what he is calling for you to do, both in how you do it, the frequency of how you do it. But spend time talking to God and praying to him, God, May I honor you with my finances and what you've entrusted me with. May I be a good manager, a good steward of what you have given me so that I trust you with it. Because we have to believe that God can do way more with what I give than I would be able to do with if I kept it for myself. There's a couple things that apply to Jesus' disciples that apply to us as well from the story Matthew chapter 25. 
like Jesus' disciples, we are waiting for his return. Or like the servants in this story where they've been entrusted talents, they've been entrusted gifts, they've been entrusted things of value. That they have to be careful how they manage and what they do with that in their life. While we wait, we're given gifts and we're given things that we're called to do in the church and in, in the community around us. It's really easy for us as a church and for we as Christians, for me, to become inwardly focused instead of outwardly focused. We can become overly focused, I think, to just what we want, what's going on with us, and we lose sight of the people that are going to hell that don't know Jesus yet. It's more important what I want or my preference or adding a life that Jesus died for to the kingdom of God. We have these gifts. We have these things that we're entrusted with in this life. And ultimately, we'll stand before the judge one day and we'll be held accountable for that. And what we have to do in the meantime is spend time talking to God and praying to him and talking to God Show me how you want me to be a good steward of what you've entrusted me with. There's this principle, and it applies to money, but it applies to everything else. If you're faithful with a little, you'll be able to be faithful with a lot. If you can't manage a little, you won't be able to manage a lot. If you think maybe, hey, financially, I'm just sneaking by. I can barely get by if I could just make a couple grand more, if I could just, whatever it is. You know, Jesus tells us this principle, we've got to be faithful with what we have, even if it's not what we want. Or in some cases, we really could need, use a little bit more. But if we're faithful with a little, then God will be able to entrust us with more, both in how we serve in the kingdom and how God wants to use you and the talents that he's giving you through the Holy Spirit in the church so that we can reach others for Christ, that we can make more disciples and better disciples, that we can help raise kids, the next generation, that are going to be connected to the church, that they're going to be plugged into the church as the church, carrying on the message of the gospel. And we've got to do what Jesus expects us to do, which is to be obedient. And what I would encourage you to do is say, Jesus, show me what that looks like in my life with everything that you've entrusted me with. Because one day Christ will return and what we have done or haven't done with what he has given us management over for a little while, we're going to be held accountable for that. Those who have um, served by risking will be praised and those who give an excuse of being afraid won't pass the test. At least that's how this story goes here. Now God is just and he will make the right decision for us. But there's consequences if we just choose to, well, I, don't, I know that I should, but I'm just going to hide it. I'm just going to bury it. That's not what Jesus called for us to do. He called for us to be generous with what we have and everything that he's given us, just like he was generous for us. That's why I said in the beginning is that when I find that there's a lack of generosity, there's a deep lack of appreciation for Jesus in my life and what he has really done. And that if I lose my sense of awe and wonder for Jesus and his work for us, I become much more tight-fisted with what I have, and I don't want to be generous and to give to others. But we're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. Another line that I love, another way to put it, is that uh, we're not in charge of the outcome. 
You're not in charge of the outcome of what happens. What we are called to do, what you're called to do individually as a Christian, what we as the church here at Cross Plains are called to do with everything, with every aspect of our lives, we're called to be obedient. And when I am obedient with what God has laid on my heart, what he is calling for me to do, the outcome is not my problem. God has that. If I'm obedient, God will handle the outcome. Don't know what that's going to look like, but that takes a lot of pressure off of me. If I'm doing what God has laid on my heart, if I'm living as a Christian, as informed by his word, that I'm going to be a good steward of what God has entrusted me with, that God will handle the outcome. Man, that's about the most freeing thing I think I could say. A lot of times we focus on, or I like to focus and control and want to, well, I can manage this and I can make this outcome. And a lot of times it doesn't really work quite as well as it did in my head. But what I love is that I can trust God and know that if I am obedient to what he has called for me to do personally as a Christian, how he's calling me to give, how he's calling me to serve, how he's calling me to teach in my family and model Jesus for others, that God will be the one to take care of the outcome. All that I have and all that I am belongs to God. When I view it that way, I'm much more likely to be generous, to say, God, thank you for what you've entrusted me with. God, thank you for the gifts that you've given me. God, thank you for the hard work ethic that you've put in me that I'm going to work hard, that I'm going to provide. And God, thank you for that. But God, let me turn back around and give that to you in your kingdom in a bunch of a different capacity. Knowing that this idea of biblical stewardship, it is about what we do with our money, but it's so much deeper than that. It's about what you do with your time. It's about what you do for the kingdom. A lot of times I think we focus on little church C, just like us here, when we should focusing on, well, how can we be a bigger part of the kingdom? How can we reach as the church, the one church, how can we reach people in our community? How can we influence others for Jesus? How can we take people that if they died today, are going to hell? How are we going to take people that if North Korea goes nuts and hits their buttons and fires missiles at us, and life as we know it is different, and people lose their lives. And the people that are going to hell because they don't know Jesus. And how can I reorient and change my life to impact others? Everything that we're talking about is connected. We're running through this topical series called Believe. It's what we think, how we can think, act, and be like Jesus. We talked about um, compassion last week, and compassion is not just sympathy. Sympathy is, oh, I feel bad. I'm going to not do anything. Compassion is sympathy in action. It's where we do something about that. That built upon the lesson right before that of humanity, how we view other people, that we care about others, that we believe that God loves everyone and need, they need Jesus as their Savior. So w- if we use those and we build upon what we believe, that everybody needs Jesus, and God loves them, and I'm to look at them how God loves them. Well, then when it comes to this idea of biblical stewardship and how I'm going to manage what God has entrusted me with, it's not just about me, but it's about us, and it's about others, and how I'm going to trust God with what he has entrusted me with so that that time will come, and hopefully God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful with a little. I will trust and trust you so much more. Let's pray.
Father, as we come together to worship, there are times where we're encouraged um, and times where we're um, challenged and other times where we might feel beaten up a little bit and sometimes all three of those at once. But God, we know that you work in us through the Spirit. And God, when we read the Bible, that you through the Spirit help us understand what it means. And God, I'm so grateful for that. Father, I pray that we as the church here at Cross Plains and the church everywhere, really, that we read your word, and God, it changes who we are. God, and it changes how we look at others, and it changes how we prioritize our life. Father, may we be good stewards of everything, every aspect of our life. May we reflect Jesus in everything that we do. God, we love you. Thank you for this time where we can come together safely to worship you. But, Father, I pray that we don't take that for granted. But instead, God, that we seize every opportunity to look for chances to share this great love of Jesus with others. Father, may we be good stewards of our money, of our time, of our resources, of our abilities, of every part of us. God, show us the ways how you want to use us in your kingdom. God, to reach those who are dead without Jesus. Father, may we have an enormous heart for those who don't yet know you. God, use us to share the truth of Jesus with them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.